This morning we're going to continue our teaching series on Ecclesiastes. I'm going to encourage you to turn to chapter 5 or take your thumb and scroll to chapter 5 on your Bible app. We wanted to show that testimony this morning for a couple of reasons. One, I truly believe that every person in this room, including myself, is addicted to something, right? And the reason we're addicted to something is because we're looking ultimately for some form of satisfaction in life. The pursuits that we thought would satisfy us either don't or they didn't pan out. But I love what Chris said um, in his testimony. He said it wasn't the addiction. I don't know if you got this. It was the bitterness that led to it, right? And a lot of times we become really bitter because the things of this world, the things that we pursue, the things that we look for having satisfaction in, we find none. Agreed? And so we turn to something else. Now, it may not be drugs for you. If it is, we're here to help. It may not be alcohol for you. And if you're addicted to that and have a problem with that, we're here to help. It could be a plethora of many different things. But this morning, what we want to do is investigate what satisfies us. We're going to answer three questions. We're going to look at the things that are truth in life as far as things that really tear us down. We're going to look at false pursuits for satisfaction. And then we're going to look at how we can truly be satisfied because we're all looking for that, right? There is just a point in life where you just want to sit down and go, everything seems to be working out. Have you ever had a day like that where everything as it should be? You know, the stars have aligned perfectly, the bills are paid, you know, the, the temperature is exactly as it should be. All those things are working out. Several years ago, uh, I think the kids were way, it was way back in elementary school, we threw them some crackers and Capri Suns and said, see you in three days, best of luck, you know. Got in the car, drove to the mountains, and we had no agenda. Sarah Beth and I found this hidden mountain stream way back up in the National Forest. We pulled up to it. We took out our canvas little folding chairs. Everybody's got those, right? Stood out in the middle of that stream, put our chair down, and sat there for like six hours, it seemed like. And it was like the most peaceful moment of the, of the decade. You know what I mean? Cell phones didn't work. Nobody bothered us. She read. I slept. She read some more. I slept. She explored. I slept. You get the idea. And all those things, you know, is, is, it was just a moment of complete satisfaction. The problem is we had to come home. Not that home is a bad place for us. It's a safe environment. But I don't know if you struggle with this, but it seems like the moment I step out my front door every morning, the rat race starts. Y'all been there? Y'all know, know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're pulled in a million different directions. You have to be at this appointment, that appointment. You have to please this person. You've got to make sure your kids show up for this place. You've got to make sure you're competitive in this sport. You've got to make sure you're in this position. You've got to make sure you have this type of influence. You better read this. You better not read that. And you better check that Facebook status because people are going to tell you if they're sick or hurting, and you better follow up with that. You follow me on this stuff, and it just it drives me nuts. And we're all looking for a point in life where we can just let our hair down. Well, maybe you can do that, but you get what I'm saying. Where do we find that satisfaction? Now, what we've learned so far in our study of Ecclesiastes, um, wonderful book, and it's, it's, it's wisdom literature. I'm going to kind of fill you in. If you haven't been here for this series or maybe you missed a few weeks, kind of fill you in what we're learning about. The book of Ecclesiastes, number one, is what we call wisdom literature. It's written as a poem. Uh, it's almost literary pessimism when he says, if you do these things, bad things are going to happen. And the advice that he's giving is simply this, I've done this, it didn't turn out well, and you shouldn't do it. You ever given advice like that? You ever taken advice like that? Probably not, right? 
And it's written by either King Solomon or someone who was very close to King Solomon, a man who was wealthy, a man who was intelligent, and a man who was powerful and pursued all these things for satisfaction and joy, but never found them. And there's two phrases you'll see throughout the text. Under the sun living and under the heavens living. Under the sun is a manward direction. Is if, if I follow this pathway for my own will and my own guidance, everything is going to turn out meaningless. In fact, he uses a phrase over and over again in this book of the Bible. It says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is what? Meaningless. Y'all, y'all stink. I'm just going to be straight up with you. 930 was so much louder, and I know you got that extra hour of sleep, so here we go. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is what? Meaningless. That was all right. And so everything is meaningless, and so we have all these pursuits, and we find at the end of that pursuit, if we're under the sun living in a manward direction, we're completely purposeless, we completely have no meaning, and everything is as chasing after the wind. And so what we want to gear ourselves to is what we call under the heavens living, in a Godward direction. Now, specifically this morning is what does under the heavens living look like as we pursue satisfaction. You follow me on that? And so let's dive into the text. Let's start in chapter 5, verse 8. And this is what we're going to see here. Notice what happens first. And I want to remind you, we're going to look at three truths that are inevitable for all of us. Then we're going to look at three pursuits that are always a dead end, and then we're going to find out how to be satisfied. You follow me? You got that? I'm going to talk really fast this morning. Here we go. Starting in verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed, now stop here. Don't look at your Bible anymore. Don't look at the screens. If you see the poor oppressed, that word oppression picks up in a theme from chapter 4. So if you were here three or four weeks ago, you remember us talking about that. The word oppression doesn't mean somebody's just simply holding you down. The idea of oppression means you're beat down because of life, because of sickness, because of issues, because of problems, and because of other people. You follow me so far? Now, we took a pause two weeks ago in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, where we discussed what meaningful worship is. Now, we pick back up in verse 8. He picks up that whole theme of oppression. You with me so far? And he says this. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Now, there's two things going on here. First of all, he's saying those who use political power to get ahead and use others as a stepping stone are oppressing those people. Now, we see that all the time, right? You see it on TV. Maybe you've experienced it on the, in the workplace. Maybe someone has stabbed you in the back in order to get ahead. We've seen those things happen. Agreed? We've all maybe been a person who is on the receiving end, or maybe you've stabbed someone in the back before, and I want to just, let's come in close for a moment, you're making commitment in front of God, and you're going to, you're making a commitment to me as your pastor, here's the thing, you're not going to do that anymore, right? Okay, good. So what we're saying is, those who feel oppressed are because of what others have done to them, but there's a more general theme here in those first three verses, verses 8 through 10, and it's the oppression of knowing that eventually you're going to lose. Now, what I mean by that, this is a truth you can live by. It's going to happen in your life. No matter how successful you are, somebody else is more successful. You follow that? No matter how wealthy you are, somebody else is wealthier. No matter how good your team is, on any given day, somebody else can beat you, right? And so as we deal with these things, what you have to understand, what I have to grasp is this. Eventually, you're going to lose, 
That's good news this morning, right? I don't like losing, do you? Eventually, you're going to get beat. Now, it might be something that's perpetually happening to you. Seems like every day is a loss. Some of us feel that way. For others of us, we're doing really well. And we get really arrogant about it. But eventually, wham, you're going to lose. But the reality is, somebody can beat you. Uh, last weekend, I was not here. And thank you. Uh, I, I checked off a box. <laughs> I didn't miss that. Um, I checked off a box on my bucket list. Uh, me and my son, we went to the Georgia-Florida game in Jacksonville. Always wanted to go. One of my best friends lives down there. My family went down there and stayed with his family. I was in church, okay? I was at River Road Baptist Church outside of Hilliard, Florida. You know where that is? You do not. Some of, Somebody does. You shake. You've been to the sticks before. And so it was there, uh, and I had a great experience there. But we went to the game, and unbelievable experience. Went to the Florida-Georgia game, and we get to the stadium early, and uh, we walk down, and we're standing there, and all of a sudden this little lady comes and stands next to me. And on her jersey, it says, uh, number 13, Holyfield's grandma. There's a guy on the football team named Holyfield, Elijah Holyfield, one of the running backs. His dad, follow me on this, people, is a Vander Holyfield, the former heavyweight champion of the world. Man was bad. You know what I'm talking about? He beat people down. He had his ear bit off. Who can say that, Okay. I went to work today and got my ear bit off. Sorry. You know, that kind of stuff. So I'm st standing there. And she comes and stands next to me. My son's standing here. My buddy and his son's standing there. And we're watching all the players. And all of a sudden, this little lady comes and stands to me. And she goes, Evander, Evander. And I'm like, there's Evander Holyfield walking out of the tunnel. And he's coming to talk to his mom. And I'm next to his mom. Woo! This is about to be awesome, y'all. And I'm like, this is cool. You know, getting excited. Kids are there. And so he walks right up to us. And I'm like, this is what you do when the heavyweight champion of the world walks up. Y'all ready for this? Just in case this happens to you and you're blessed, okay? I went to River Road Baptist. Here's the thing. Hey, champ. That's all you got to say. Because ain't nobody else champ there except him, all right? <laughs> and he just looks at me. I said, can I get a picture with you and my son shaking hands? And he's like, you know, he didn't say anything, okay. You know, he's been hit. He gets hit like 80 times a day, you know, and so he can't say much. But he reaches up. And he shakes my son's hand. I get the picture and all that stuff. His hand comes up to my son's, almost his elbow. I mean, and his, my son has gotten to the point where he's bigger than me and his hands and everything. So this is a big dude. This was awesome. I mean, you got to understand, guys. I, 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 Rob, feel me on this. Man, I grew up watching Evander. I watched all of his bouts. I watched it when his ear got bit. It was funny because Cade was like, man, his ear looked pointy. That's where it got bit off. Cool! Cool! <laughs> I mean, I watched this guy fight, and he's there. So this past week, because I'm a nerd, I get on Wikipedia because you can just believe everything it says. And I read about that was sarcasm. And so I read about what he did and what he didn't do. And at one time, he was the greatest. But guess what? Eventually, he got beat. You're going to get beat. I'm going to get beat. The reality of life is eventually... You're going to be downtrodden. The reality of life is eventually you're going to fall short. The reality of life is that whether it's someone, something, or death itself, you're going to lose. Someone is always better. And in our pursuit of satisfaction, 
what it does is like Chris said in his testimony, it causes bitterness because that oppression doesn't seem to make sense in the Christian world, right? But it's a reality. Now read a little further with me for a moment. Notice what happens next. Let's keep riding. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is what? Meaningless. You see that? Now, let's just stop here, okay? Uh, and, and I'm not going to go to the rest of the text for a moment. But the, the idea is that another truth is enough is never going to be enough, right? Number one, you're going to get beat. Number two, enough is never enough. Now, you can put that in any category. Enough food, enough money, enough whatever. But for biblical reasons and because this is what the text says, he says enough wealth is never enough. And we've all lived in that reality. I mean, I can't tell you how many people two or three weeks ago, Pastor, if I win that lottery, I'm going to tithe to the church and pay off the church and do all that. I'm going to do all that. And I'm going to be real honest with you as your pastor. I prayed for you about that. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, and this is what's so fascinating. Enough can never be enough. We've all been in that place before, right? I mean, you've gotten your raise. And I've, I mean, you've come to me before, and it's like, Pastor, i got a raise and to celebrate. Yes, thank God you've got a raise. You've been praying for that. That's great. A year later, it's like, man, I'm broke. You've been there before? And then, I mean, my wife is awesome. I, I'm, I outpunted my coverage. Y'all know that. And one of the things she does is so great is we have Aldi bags, and I demonstrated that before our time together in uh, teaching time. She'll go to a place like Aldi or Sam's Club, and she'll buy like 80, it seems like 80 bottles of ketchup and different condiments that we use and keep them in the pantry. That way, if one runs out, because ketchup is important. You know what I mean? It goes on every food. We put it on rice. We put it on beans. We put it on, y'all get the picture. And so when we run out of ketchup in the Wheeler home, it's an issue. It's a situation. But we always go to the pantry, and my wonderful wife has stocked up, and you pull, got ketchup. Mom's awesome. You know, we keep rolling. But about every six months, we get behind in our stockpile. You know, the prepping thing hasn't worked. We go in there, and it's like chaos has happened. What are we going to put on our chicken? What are we going to put on a hamburger? What are we going to eat tonight? You got a full course meal, but no ketchup, you know, that kind of stuff. Enough is never enough, and that's what you have to gather up in your brain. If you think you're ahead, just give it a minute, right? Enough is never enough. Read a little further with me in verse 11. Keep going. Notice what happens. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Isn't that true? And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance prevents them no sleep. Enough is never enough. So two truths, man, so far is like, you're going to lose. Enough is never enough. And then get this last part. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them. Listen to me. Going to work is hard. Earning a living is hard, right? But here's also a more difficult thing is when you lose it. There are people in this room here who have lost everything because of bankruptcy or debt. And it's either your fault or somebody else's fault. But the reality is, what he's saying here is that when we go and work and try to earn it, it's hard. And when we lose it, it's just as hard, right? That's the truth. It's hard to lose things. It's hard to gain things. So where does that leave us? 
It leaves us in a place of when we're feeling these ways of thinking, hey, I can't ever get ahead or I'm going to lose it all and feel broke or I feel oppressed because I feel beat down. We're looking for some place to find some satisfaction. We're looking for some place to find our peace of mind, right? So let's skip to chapter 6. I want you to read with me three pursuits that I'm willing to bet everything I have that you and I both find, you find yourself in one of these categories. So you pick the category you fit in. You might fit in all three, okay? Three pursuits that we find ourselves pursuing. The first one, notice what happens here. These are all dead ends, by the way. You're going to argue with me in your brain, but I want you to notice what happens here. Starting in chapter 6. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. Now, I want you to, I want to remind you, go back to verse 1. Notice what it says, under the sun living. You get this? Keep that in mind as we read these pursuits. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on my mind. God gives some people wealth and possessions and honor so that they lack nothing, their heart's desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. Now, I really want you to focus on verse 2 here. Basically, what he's saying is God grants some people wealth, but he doesn't grant them the ability to enjoy it. Do you see that? I mean, we've all known people who have all the bells and whistles but haven't got joy or peace, don't we? Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you've experienced this before. But here's the thing. This is the pursuit of the upgrade. Is I, if I have this upgrade, I will be satisfied. If I mean, you remember your first car, right? Or maybe the car you're currently driving, you're so proud of that thing. Now it's just it's filled with grass and dirt and smells, right? You remember your first home, maybe the place you're currently living. You walked in, you were thankful for it. Now the paint's chipping and there's holes in the sheetrock. You been there? What we're trying to say is the pursuits for the upgrade aren't going to satisfy because what is new today will be old tomorrow. You follow that? It seems like all of us have smartphones now. It seems like for me, every time I open up my smartphone, there's some type of upgrade or update for my iOS. Y'all with me on that? All the time. And I've always been scared to death because I've done it before in the past. I've upgraded, and all of a sudden it gets slower and it doesn't work as well. Y'all had that problem? And then, lo and behold, the conspiracy was right. We found out a couple me months ago that Apple was doing this on purpose so that you'd have to buy a new phone. Darn you. And what did you do? What did I do? I bought a new phone. <laughs> the upgrade isn't always best. You follow me on this? And what's so significant for us in our dead-end pursuit in this is that so many of us are looking for the next upgrade to make us happy. We're looking for the next momentum to make us happy. We're looking for the next, next iPhone, the next car, the next truck, the next house, the next whatever. Only to find out, after some time, it doesn't satisfy anymore. You been there? You pursued that? Just resonate at all. Now, let's shift to the next compartment. Notice what happens here. This is really going to strike home because this is our community. A man may have a hundred children. Let's stop right now and pray for that dude. <laughs> a, man, a man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, he cannot enjoy prosperity and does not receive 
proper burial. Now, I'm going to stop here. Proper burial in the ancient times was a big deal. If you weren't buried properly in a certain way, it was very much dishonorable. I want you to think about that. Has, do you know any person who's been buried that enjoyed the burial? If you say yes, I want you to meet me after worship. <laughs> Here's what we're saying here. It's what we've we got to understand. Now, I want you to go back. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he live, lives, he cannot enjoy his prosperity. It's the idea that relationships satisfy me, but they don't. Now, this is where it's going to hit home for us. Because most of us can say, yeah, the upgrade's not that important. What matters most is my family or those I love. And I love my family. I want you to hear me on this. I take a bullet for all of them. I have a very tight-knit, extended family. They're important to me. I have some good friendships. I, I value those and, and just praise God for them. But to a T, every one of them has disappointed me, and I've disappointed them. And no matter how many children a person has, how many relationships a person has, the reality is, because we are tainted human beings, those relationships will not satisfy. Now, the people that we love give us the most joy in life. Agreed? The flip side is the people that we love give us the most pain in life, right? And what we have to understand, and this is what the author is really getting to, is that when under the sun living is prevalent in our lives, and we bank our entire satisfaction on our family or those we know, Here's what's going to happen. It's a dead end. Now, they're important. They're good. And I want to be, be very clear here for a moment. Having money is okay. Not having money is okay. He's not saying any of these things are sin. What he's saying is, is when we're seeking for those things to satisfy us, we find ourselves hitting rock bottom in a dead end every time. There's something that's more longing in our lives. You follow me on this? So important for us to recognize this. Because there's one more facet to this that we really need to really grapple with. Let's go to verse 5. Notice this. Actually, just let's just skip to verse 6. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy prosperity, do not all go to the same place. So his point is, even if this man who has a hundred children, even, even if he doesn't enjoy all his children but yet lives a thousand years times two, Eventually, he passes on. His point is, when relationships don't satisfy us and upgrades don't satisfy us, here's the thing. Health doesn't satisfy us either. Now, let's think through this one for a moment because I really want you to ponder this with me. This is something you may not grapple with a whole lot, but it is something that's very prevalent for all of us. Health in the context of saying, hey, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to live how I want. I'm going to, very hedonistic, very joy, happy centered about me and everything we do. So I'm going to, I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, and I'm going to be merry. You follow me on that? Or the other extreme is I'm going to eat celery and work out eight hours a day, and I'm just going to be in beast mode the rest of my life. Here's the truth. They all, let's go, let's throw that, let's throw that verse back up on the screen. They all end up going to the same place. And while we worry about our health, and while we 
worry and are concerned about getting healthier or enjoying life, the reality is, listen to me, health doesn't satisfy you. It causes anxiety, right? It causes us to think about things, right? It causes us to fill out, man, January's coming. I'm, I, it'd be awesome if we could do a survey. It'd be really embarrassing for everyone here. In January, how many of us sign up to be a part of a gym, right? It causes us to put those free apps. It's going to charge you $3.99 later about how to eat well. But here's the reality. It never, ever, ever satisfies. So read a little further with me because here's how he finishes this. Notice this. Go back to chapter 6. Verse 7. Everyone's toil is from their mouth. Yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Now he's asking a series of questions saying, what if this person gets this? What if this person gets that? What if this person gets this thing? Verse 9, better what, what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named. And what humanity has been known, now no one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does the profit that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they're gone? There was a lot of words right there. Let me sum it up for you. He's saying this. You're going to feel oppressed. That's the truth. You're going to feel like there's never enough. That's the truth. It's hard to make a living, and it's painful to lose that at the same time. That's the truth. Pursuing health as a way to satisfy you is a dead end. Pursuing wealth or upgrades as a way to satisfy you is a dead end. It won't. And pursuing relationships as a way to satisfy you, it won't, is a dead end. So you just need to learn to accept it if you're going to live under the sun. That's his, that's his point. So that leaves us with the question, how in the world do we find satisfaction? Because I would be willing to bet everything I have that one of those compartments each one of us fits neatly in, right? How do we deal with this? Here's the idea, and this is what I want you to understand. It's through God we find our satisfaction. Now, you just said in your brain, duh, Chip. You knew I was getting to that point, right? That, just be honest. It's me and you talking, right? You knew I was going there, right? So let me, let me ask another question. The better question is, how does God satisfy? How can I get to that place? That's the question we really want to answer, right? So let's throw up a couple of thoughts here. I want to throw up a couple of verses of Scripture. You write these down. You keep up with these. And then we're going to give you some details about how to get there. You follow me on that? Notice this first one. Psalm chapter 106. Notice what happens here. Or 107, I'm sorry, verse 9. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. God promises that when we thirst for something and hunger for something, he'll take care of us. Notice the next psalm here. Psalm 22, verse 26. Get this one. The poor will eat and be what? Satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. I really like the next one. Notice what happens here. Psalm 1611. Get this. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with what? No, let's, I want you to wake up here. You fill me with what? Joy. There is a significant difference between joy and happiness, biblically speaking. 
Joy is eternal. This is something that God gives. Notice what it says. You make, me know, make known to me the path of life. You, not my upgrade, not my family, not my friends, not my health, not my ability to eat and enjoy it. None of that stuff is going to fill me with joy. Only God. You got that? You. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is the Christmas package you're going to open on Christmas morning and go, wow, thank you, and then forget about that happiness on January 3rd. You follow that? We all experience that from time to time. And God forbid if we leave, live in that reality of looking for one happiness to another. Because what happens is, hang with me, follow this. What happens is, is if our pursuit is happiness, we become addicted to that. That becomes our drug. And we become addicted to that and we find ourselves not getting happy. We get bitter. And when we get bitter, we pursue something else. And we find out that's a dead end. What the reality is, what God is saying through the Ecclesiastes, what he's saying here in Psalms, is that you fill me with joy. You get that? This is, I hope this blows your mind if you've never thought about this before. Because I want you to notice the words of Jesus here. John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Leave that on the screen for a moment, because I really want you to see what's happening here. We're going to take communion at the end of our time together this morning, and this is no, there is no accident Christ said these words and then mandated communion. What he's saying here is, in your hunger, I will fill you. In your thirst, I will satisfy you. But how? How do, we, how, do, how do we experience this? Because that's what we want, right? How do we get there? Write this down. When God is glorified, we are satisfied. And when we are satisfied, God is glorified. You hear that? When God is glorified, we are satisfied. And when we are satisfied, God is glorified. Now, let's flesh that out. What does that mean? I want you to picture yourself going to a really good restaurant of a reputable chef. And I'm not, I'm not talking about McDonald's, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about let's go somewhere where you sit down and you've seen this chef on the Food Network. Any of y'all watch that stuff? It's really cool to watch some of these guys cook. They take food from being the grill master to being art, right? So imagine yourself, you sit down, you've heard the reputation and you can, I don't know what your favorite food is. I'm just going to pick one of my favorite foods, and that is a medium to medium rare ribeye steak. That's one of my favorite foods, okay? And that's what I go in and I order. And they order it, and the chef goes, and he or she does their magic. They come out, and they put this in front of me, and I eat it, and I am completely satisfied. My taste buds have exploded with greatness. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Everything is perfect. Everything is perfectly seared. Everything is perfectly cooked. The sides complement. I mean, it's just awesome. And in that moment, I find myself completely full. It's good. I don't have to keep eating the biscuits on the table, man. The steak was enough, you know. And not only was it good and filling, it tasted good. This is unbelievable. This is a party going on. I mean, there was a thing we used to watch. There's a party in my belly. It was something with kids. Y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. All that stuff is good. It's happening. And I go and say, hey, this chef is unbelievable. This chef is awesome. And I go to the chef and say, you are incredible. You, you, you are a master. You are a genius. The steak that you made is perfect. 
It was filling. It was satisfying. It was good. They're glorified. I'm satisfied. You get that? Now, I want you to take it to a big God. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go 18 miles high in the sky. He is good. He is redemptive in our shortcomings. He is purposeful in our weaknesses. He is making things dirty clean. He is making you a new creation. He is taking you in your current situation and saying, I can use this. I love you where you are. You have value. I mean, guys, if you watch on TV and some of these other guys who promise you as pastors that you will be wealthy and healthy if you follow Jesus, we have just taken a text of Scripture and said that's hogwash. Turn it off, delete it off your DVR. You follow me on that? Jesus died poor, broke, and at the hands of his creation. And I want you to follow this. When we make much of God, it is satisfying. When we make much of God, he is glorified. We are satisfied. And when we are satisfied, he is glorified. You follow that? So are you satisfied? How do you get there? Two points of application. I'm going to give you some homework. The first one is this. Glorifying God is about our praise of him. You see, satisfaction is found at the foot of the cross. Satisfaction is found at the foot of the cross. And when Christ is in your life, that's your first step, is knowing that you have been forgiven, knowing that you've been made new. And when you offer him up your praise, satisfaction begins to happen. I mean, we sing in worship not because you sound good. We sing in worship because we're telling God how great they are, that he is. You take a newborn baby, you rock that baby, and you sing it a lullaby, no matter the fact if you can sing or not, right? You take that God, that big God that created you, and you tell him how great he is. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, right? Our praise leads to his glory, and his provision leads to our satisfaction. Our praise, his, satis- his provision. I want you to understand that. That's your second point. He has provided for you a Bible. He's provided for you a method to pray. He's provided for you a church. He's provided for you for other Christians for you to grow in. He's provided for you a purpose, and He is good and loving in doing these things. He's provided our praise. When He is glorified, we are satisfied. So I'm going to give you some homework, and throughout the course of this series, I've given you homework every week. I don't know if you've done it or not. I hope you have. But here's your homework this week, okay? As we've dealt with this passage of Scripture, what I want you to take home with you and what I want you to try to do is I want you to give to God. And what I mean by that, in my whole life I've heard this whole phrase, let go and what? Let God. Can I tell you that, that, is, that is, that's great advice. Thank you. I'm 42 and I have to let go and let God every second of those 42 years. It's just not something that's going to happen overnight. It's a habitual practice in which you honor God by what you do. Give to God. And there were three categories. There was wealth, there was health, and there was relationships. And here's how I want you to break it down. It's not a giving sermon. But if money is your master, you become the master. And if that means give it away, give it away. Follow that? Take control of it. It's not there to serve you. I mean, you're not there to serve it. It's there to serve you. Give that to God. Second thing is that many times with our families, 
We don't trust God with them. Y'all ever been there before with the people you love? You want God to do things in their life, but to say, God, you're bigger than me. I'm getting to the point now where in about seven years, my kids are prayerfully out of my home. (laughs) Scary for me. I love my kids. But when they leave, there's a trust aspect in the Lord that I've got to have in order to know that everything's going to be all right, right? When Sarah Beth was pregnant with our first kid, I was just laying in bed one night. I couldn't sleep. The anxiety of being a dad, the anxiety of what am I going to do, all the anxieties and the bad stories I'd read about people being pregnant. And in that still moment, God spoke to me and said, Chip, you have no control. I'm sovereign. You just sit and wait. You've been trusting God with your family your entire life. Now trust him more. Three, give to God your help. And what I mean by that is live out your life in this temple the way God would want you to do and let and serve him for his purposes. You follow me on that? Give to God. This morning, some of you are here and you've never taken that step of satisfaction. You never asked Christ to come into your life. What I'm going to ask you to do is check the, take the Connect card that you were given inside of your worship folder, and there's some boxes there. And one of the boxes says, this morning I want to ask Christ to come into my life. And if that's you, check that box. If you've never been baptized and you need to be baptized, check that box. We're going to be doing that next week. But take the steps necessary in order to give to God your life. And if you are a Christian, in order to give to God your praise and understand his provision. You follow me on this? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We ask God very specifically to begin to change us and move in us. And that, God, as we take this time and we serve you and honor you and remember you, that, God, that you would overwhelm us with your grace and you help us give to you what we're supposed to give, the satisfaction that's found at the foot of the cross. And, Jesus, thank you for giving it. In Christ's name we pray.